Hello, my name is Jason Reichel, and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. I'm super excited to be joined today by Matt Meyer, the Senior Vice President at the Horton Group. Matt brings new ideas and a strategic roadmap for middle market construction firms located throughout the Midwest, with his mission being to provide guidance through the changing landscape of risk. It's great to have Matt with me. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello, Matt. Thank you for joining me on Brick by Brick. How are you today? I'm doing great, Jason. Thanks. Great. I always like to start the podcast off with an existential question, which is, in your own words, why do you think your job exists? I would tell you this. I've contemplated this. I've been at Horton, gosh, nine and a half years now, and this question has come up. Professionals these days are so specialized, right? Whether it's a general contractor, whether it's a plumbing contractor, underground, you have so many things coming at you from so many different directions that you have to focus on like your specialization. And frankly, our industry has been so vanilla and so generic for so many years that I think you're seeing this shift into specializations. And my job and I exist simply to serve those industries that we kind of align ourselves with. And our job is to help manage kind of real complex issues that they face that frankly, they don't have the time or energy or resources to handle. They're looking at their industry and they've got plans and drawings and budgets and all of that that they need to spend their time and energy on. And they need resources, whether they be outsourced or otherwise, to take on those specialization or specialized areas and really focus on that. That's why we exist, is to kind of manage the risks, drive down the costs, take the complex things and boil those downs and down into simple concepts that people can understand. That's how I explain it to clients and prospective clients. It's so interesting because coming from technology and the rise of the internet, the internet exists and is successful because of the niche communities that it can build and how it can really drive transformation fast because it's focused on specific outcomes. It's interesting to hear how your industry is also moving in a direction of really niche solutioning, niche looking at the problem from the perspective of those industries and then giving consultative advice. We talk about this all the time around how the more and more consulting is needed in order to build the proper risk portfolio or your risk appetite. Mm -hmm. What are the elements of a risk program for you? What, how do you explain what risk is and how a business should look at risk? Sure. So we always start with that kind of risk appetite conversation, right? Like, what exactly are you tolerant of? And it may not even be talking about specific risks relative to like insurance. It might be just talking about the type of growth they're looking to obtain, how they structure their financials. I mean, it doesn't have to be really granular, but like, let's back up and understand kind of the philosophy of the company. And then we turn our attention to kind of how do you view the purview of risk, right? As you see it today. And we start to peel back that proverbial onion and we start looking at frequency and severity. If we know something is likely to happen and it could be really severe to your organization, what's that look like, right? And let's like, like take that top quadrant and start building our profile around that. And then all the way down to the things like, yeah, they're probably going to happen, but it doesn't really matter. Cool. We start to really understand people's appetites as we have those conversations, which helps us start to 
shape an insurance program, right? And then subsequently, those resources that they need around that insurance program. So now we're talking about the trust layer stuff, talking about safety, so on and so forth, to better understand how do we put somebody in a position to succeed. If you don't have those conversations and people aren't forthright with really how they view risk relative to insurance-related matters and others, frankly, we're probably going to be missing the mark. And you're going to be frustrated because you're going to be getting something that maybe you truly don't believe in. So we take a step back and and we truly take that approach of like, let's get down to real brass tacks here. Like, how do you do this? How do you feel? What keeps you up? And where are you looking to go? Because if we understand those things, we can help you really fulfill your long-term goals and visions. In your history, because you've been in the industry for a number of years, how has the relationship between business and broker evolved and changed? And which ways for the better and which ways for the worst? Yeah. And like I mentioned before, Jason, my personal opinion is I think there's been an elevation in my industry. And at least I hope that from what I see locally is folks are trying to get better and better, right? They're starting to understand that that specialization is really imperative, right? I think look decades ago, there was always this, hey, I'm a generalist. I can write anything, a manufacturing, a retail, a developer, maybe a contractor. And the reality is, is I think that's changed significantly. If you just think about in your own personal life, if you're looking for advice on getting your knee scoped and, and you got a knee issue, you don't just go to any general practitioner. You're eventually shepherded through that process to an expert. And I think that's really evolved in the insurance front. And from a broker standpoint, I think that's kind of the ever evolving consensus here is specialization. So I think the relationship between those clients, there's always been those really good relationships where people like like who they're doing business with. But I think now we're trying to elevate that even further. Like I'm doing business with these people because this is what they do. That's what I... Because they understand my use case. They understand how to position me the best. And it's really maybe trying to transform the idea of as a business, you have insurance to actually be in a competitive advantage for these businesses to make sure that they're covered in the right way and open to take the risks that are going to help them grow the way they want to as well. 100%. 100%. Yep. That's exactly right. You got to create this necessary evil and turn it into an advantage for yourself, right? I mean, that's that's the way people used to think. I have to buy insurance. It's a necessary evil. I don't like it. And they would just have this adverse reaction to it to, hey, let's really understand it, dive into this. And maybe we can get the edge on somebody as a result of better understanding and better specialization within whatever industry I'm in. Do you feel like that's changed not only because the providers have been better at providing service and understanding the workflows of specific industries, construction being the one that we're primarily talking about here, but even within that, you have plenty of sub industries. Mm -hmm. Do you think it is now that there is a, when a claim happens, a serious claim happens, the PR is so loud or so big that it can really impact the trust of your business? Do you think that's why that relationship and that niching has become so synonymous? I think that's certainly one of them. Just the, the era of social media, right? I mean, there's, you can find anything in two seconds by opening up your iPhone and typing something in. So I think there's certainly an awareness level from owners where maybe that gristled construction GC years and years and years ago maybe didn't care that much, right? Because they knew at the end of the day, hey, I want I don't want to have claims, but there's maybe not those repercussions. Now this day and age, I mean, one of the things we hear from people on a regular basis is exactly that. They don't want to end up in the paper or on any sort of social media feed 
with negative connotations as a result of something that maybe they feel that or the public feels they should have been able to prevent. So I certainly think that that is one of those factors where people are like, hey, I don't, I don't want to end up in the headlines. Now, one of uh, my head of RevOps, Tana, I don't know if you know him, he was at a conference today, a construction conference, and they were talking also about how this plays into talent retention, into taking care of your employees, which is something that in general, the construction industry is concerned about as things change. How have you seen, what value does having a good risk portfolio have besides just helping you? What are some of the sub values that you've seen through your career? So we can talk about values as far as like establishing a core cultural understanding within the organization. I think that's likely the number one thing we've seen is like, we've seen some very successful contractors grow as top line revenue exponentially, but we also see those same competitors have a negative undertones from an employment standpoint, right? It's a tough place to work. They're really hard on people. They turn people over really easily. Those types of conversations, you just kind of anecdotally hear that. And the reverse is also true. People that say, hey, look, they've laid the groundwork. They're really an employee-friendly organization. They know what they're doing. They utilize technology. They communicate really well. Though All of those things build that cultural headwind that can be really compelling if you're in the employment market. In this day and age, I mean, obviously, we've seen in the last three to five years, one of the biggest struggles that all contractors face is exactly that. How do I get and then maintain my workforce, right? right? And build those people and develop them. So technology is a huge component in that, good and bad. And reinvesting those dollars into technology that can help you propel your employee base is, is imperative. One of the things you mentioned is more consultative approach. In that, you have to educate businesses on how to talk to their subcontractors about mitigating risk. What are some of the pieces of advice that you give to the companies you're working with when they're dealing with subcontractors? Because I think subcontracting usage is on the rise for shortage of resources, all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. How do you help them mitigate that risk? There's a little bit of an art and science there. I would tell you this, Jason. I remember, so when I grew up, we owned a lumber yard and then we were in the contracting space. My father still is to this day. And I framed apartments when I was in college growing up. And the reality is, is, Subs used to pursue general contractors to get work. Now I almost feel like we're in a day and age where it's the reverse, right? Like the GCs need the subs almost more than they need the GCs. And I would tell you this, really being clear on the front end of expectations. If I'm a contractor looking to engage downstream subcontractors, really being clear in my expectations of what is required of them is step one. And that starts with that really nice, clean, clear to read and understand sub or general contracting, subcontractor agreement. And then from there, it's just the process. You hear of all these horror stories of like the process to collect this information, get things executed, uh, lien waivers, et cetera, is just a nightmare in some cases. Having the right expectations and then following the process and showing folks how they're going to interact with your team and subsequently maybe even a third-party provider like a trust layer is really important. And making that easy to use is is certainly an advantage for you over some people that maybe have something archaic and all of a sudden it's last minute and they're like, hey, by the way, you sent me a COI and it was wrong. Well, I've already finished the work. And like those types of things still exist, believe it or not. And yeah, that's what I think. This, yeah, I think that that process with <laughs> you know, what we're trying to do with TrustLayer 
is to eliminate that, those headaches and that banter back and forth because it does have lasting effects in some cases, right? Not always, but some cases where maybe the, the sub chooses to never do business with you because of such a poor experience. So I think that type of relationship needs to change. And I think it is. It's going that that way. It just We need to be very cognizant that it, it all matters. Right. Interesting. What you're going through that and it's making me think a lot about do you think how a contractor treats its subcontractors is indicative to potentially how they manage their entire business? Do you find that the organizations that are thinking about their subcontractor experience are also the ones that are leaning in these other areas? Is there any correlation? Like, what's best in breed? Like, you really care about subcontracting, you yeah. really have that nailed down, you really understand your risk portfolio. Like, what does it look like to be at the top of your game in yeah. 2022? This is a little bit of speculation and it's subject to my opinion, obviously. I can only speak to my experiences, but I would tell you that it all matters. And that's, I don't mean to sound that like a cop out, but it, it certainly does matter, right? And getting a project built on time and on budget is one thing. Another is getting it where you're going to reuse the same subs or have the opportunity to even use the subs in the future, as well as have people, PMs, APMs stick around, right? For the long haul. And people say, well, that guy started his career and finished it there. It all matters. And my experience is if people pay attention to this type of process and are very mindful about what it looks like, what the interactions are, how people are going to perceive these types of emails or requests, et cetera, I think it's certainly reflective of maybe how they operate the rest of the business. An organization in a construction space is is absolutely paramount. And if you're not organized and it's kind of all last minute, I think that shows through in the long haul. One of the things that I keep talking to people about on this podcast is interesting to me is the correlation between mitigating risk, doing risk transfer, all of these kind of steps, and how some view that it doesn't really impact the broker's ability to get better rates for a business or make a case for that this business is better than business A. Mm -hmm. It's still just about what is the risk that you're taking on, not necessarily how well you're insulating yourself from that risk. Are you seeing there be conversations within the space about how individual performance should impact how insurance is is written and given to organizations? Yeah. No, and that's a really good point. I mean, we hear that all the time, right? Some people who are obviously really good at this process are going to highlight that and market it. And frankly, it makes our job so much easier to be able to have the proof sources to show, hey, we're telling this story and here's exactly how it's being done. It gives, it lends itself a ton of credibility to the story that's told about you in the marketplace. So I would almost argue that people that say, Hey, it doesn't, who cares, right? It's it's a competitive marketplace. There's people that want our business. We're just going to market it and see where the chips land. I think they're missing something that maybe isn't coming out in the numbers like this year right now. But over the long haul, once you run into maybe a rough patch or the revenues dip or something like that, and you really need to land in a good spot with an insurance carrier and you need to have certain coverages and certain states and can't have certain exclusions, it comes back to what they've seen in previous years. And if you're able to tell that really well-crafted, compelling story and have the proof sources, you're going to see better results. And that's been our experience, right? If we're able to coach these people and they actually execute on this stuff, we see better results nine times out of 10. So 
I would actually say the reverse. When people say it doesn't really matter, I would argue it absolutely matters. And I have proof to show that we're able to do that. And that obviously takes a lot of the heavy lifting from the client as well. Yeah, that's great. Because the Halloween just ended this November 2nd when we're recording this, but I'm still in the mood for some spooky stuff. Do you <laughs> mind sharing a spooky claim with me that you've seen in third-party compliance that comes to mind when I talk about something spooky and icky? Yeah, so this is a really good one. So a, a colleague in my office wrote an article recently that it was about Kohl's. And I can say this because it's all public record and it, quite honestly, it's been litigated. And, and effectively what happened is Kohl's was hiring a, a contractor to plow and maintain snow and ice, right? During the winter in the Midwest. And effectively what they did is turn around and hired a subcontractor downstream from them. Yeah. And the contractual risk transfer was supposed to flow all the way through and basically insulate coals from those slip and fall claims should they actually occur. And the reality is, is guess what? It didn't, right? Somebody fell in the parking lot. They pursued all those upstream people. And lo and behold, the policy of the individual company that was doing the snow and ice control didn't extend itself to coals, right? So there's a great example of everybody's like, oh, I got a contract. I got a COI and look at this stuff. But when you read the additional insurance language on the forms themselves, it absolutely does not extend itself to Kohl's because of you know they don't have a written contract, a direct written contract with Kohl's. So those are the types of horror stories that we see. And that's part of the reason that we love TrustLayer. And we have our own internal staff that helps read all those forms and such, because that's the stuff we catch. And when we were successful in mitigating a loss in the future by raising our hand and saying, this isn't going to work, it pays the dividends twofold. Yeah, that's a great story. It happens all of the time, obviously, and we all know it happens. The problem is, how well are you keeping those records? Are you making a choice or are you just by default accepting something downstream? And I think that's sort of the core of where technology can help inform and enlighten the risk that you are taking within that process. There's plenty of businesses in that example who would say, okay, we just need to get this It's snowed in. We need to get this open. We're just going to mm-hmm. take that risk. But mm-hmm. then everybody knows they're taking that risk downstream and it can be corrected and you know mitigated later when you're not in a crisis situation. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned of how technology is enabling the industry is it's helping the businesses be more informed yep. and then helping with the collaboration with broker and consultants that you may have or lawyers or whatever that is all in one system, which all of that stuff, I presumably was happening via phone, you know, 20 years ago and then via email in the last 10 years. And now are happening in more of like a unified system for capturing that workflow, which I think is a a really critical change or motion towards progress in the industry to understand that you can still make the choice. These, these tools are not stopping things. They're not about slowing down work. They're about capturing the, and informing the decisions that teams are making. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is absolutely one of the things, one of the things that we use as a cornerstone is like, you can't manage this unless you know about it, right? We just, the, the ostrich mentality of just sticking your head in the sand and just being like, well, it hasn't happened and I'm just going to ignore it. Those days have, have come and gone, in my opinion. So I'm a true believer that let's face the facts. Let's look at the risks. As long as I'm aware of them and I'm conscious in taking the risk on, then I know what the consequences are. If there is a loss and we we took that risk, then it is what it is, right? And unfortunately, there are far too many cases where people 
they just go, I don't know anything about this. How could this happen? And we're all in this shock and awe situation and scratching our head, looking at each other. And unfortunately, I think that happens far too often in this day and age. But the movement in technology is pretty significant. And I think there's going to be a lot of people left behind and there's going to be some really clear head and shoulders ahead of everybody else on the utilization. I like that. One thing I have always wondered about people in your position, right? My mom was a nurse. And so she was always telling me things not to do because she knew what it would cost me. Do you feel like being <laughs> in your position, it makes you pessimistic about like, are you like a doom and gloom kind of person where you're like, oh, this is going to go bad because you've seen it go bad? Or do you look at it as the cost of doing business and a positive thing? What's your take? How does it affect your mentality? Yeah, I've always been uh, growing up as working for contractors, my father being a contractor. I always understood those physical risks, reputational risks, some of those things. I think what I learned along the way was the best way to frame those to clients, right? Which is like, here's what can happen. Worst case scenario, best case scenario, likely reality in the middle. Like, I just want you to have a really good understanding of what potentially could happen. And from there, then you make the decision. And let's be honest, contractors are risk takers, right? They just are. If you think about it, you go from a raw piece of land to a 10-story building that's got a ton of stuff that went into it, there's risks every single day. There's risks yeah. when they leave the job site and they shut the gate behind them. I mean, that's just the inherent nature of contractors. And I think the people that you speak to in the contracting space, they love it, right? That's what they do. And they feed off of understanding the risk, take them where they see they're, they're necessary and a lot of times those are going hand in hand with the rewards on the backside. So I'm one that always is clear with people. Like, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just trying to tell you the reality of the situation. This can happen. That can happen. There's likely something in between there. We just need you to understand how to make the decision. Yeah. I really do like the idea of just like, because building things in our world is so synonymous and it happens all the time, we tend to not understand how much of a miracle it is every time something gets put up properly and is done mm -hmm. properly and people are safe and all of these things. We treat that like it's the norm versus mm -hmm. the reality, which is people make mistakes, even with good intent, things can go wrong. And this world that we live in is much more complex and execution than we give it credit for. Yeah, no, I agree. I think if you're ever involved for even the layman, that's that has nothing to do with construction whatsoever, but being around contracting in any capacity, have something done at your house is a good example, right? Like have your bathroom remodeled and realize like all the things that go into that, right? And that could be a really small microcosm of the bigger scale of what we're talking about here. But just spend some time being outside of not having access to your bathroom and watching everything that goes into that. You'll have a greater respect for the fact that that big building over there or the school that your kids go to, et cetera. Like there is some significant effort, expertise, professionalism, study that goes into these things. And you just can't help but step back and marvel. And then think forward to the technology that we're seeing unveil. When drones came out and we were like using drones on construction sites, everybody's like, it blew their mind. And now we're, we're seeing things like 3D printing and people like machines being made to lay 
like concrete block where they're building wall block walls. I mean, that's like the next evolution of what we're talking about here. Could you imagine people that started actually entering stuff into Excel spreadsheets, like people tracking certs in Excel spreadsheets? Like, well, this is so much faster than by handed in files. And look at where we're at now with Trustlayer. I mean, we are just like, it's just that the evolution is really outstanding. I think everybody needs to take pause and, and really understand that this is there's some serious feats of engineering, architectural, and construction that goes into a lot of these buildings. Perfect. You were talking about professionalism, and we are here, we're talking about insurance. But I, I think it's important that we, you know in this field, everyone is professional, trying to build their careers. So I like to end the show with one question, which is, what's a piece of advice that you've been given that you would give to others as they pursue their career, either in this industry or outside of it? The piece of advice I give young people that started our firm is there is some significant opportunity to learn, right? There's a a generational change going on here, a shift where in the insurance space, specifically in the broker and underwriting space, there are a lot of people turning over. And there's some significant opportunity to, if you're ambitious enough to learn and take an interest in something, I tell you to just delve headlong into this, right? Being inquisitive is also a big thing and a self-starter, right? Like people can tell you what to do, but if you don't find what you're passionate about, what you're interested in, and then pursue that, it probably won't resonate. So spend some time kind of challenging yourself to look inward and figure out, well, what is it that I like? What am I interested in? Find those little niches, go after them. And there's some significant opportunity to grow professionally over time. Keep in mind, that's not going to happen overnight. And I know this is like instant gratification culture that we live in now. But the reality is, is I think we've got to have a real mindset of, I want to get better at this. I want to grow it. And I'm going to take the time to learn it and do it the right way. Yeah, I think we have to, not to harp too much on the generation that people are, that we are in now, but I feel like we have to refocus the journey as being the thing that's giving us the gratitude and the self-fulfillment, right? The getting deeper, Mm -hmm. the... The understanding, to your point, inquisitive is a good word that I think is how many of us found ourselves in the space that we are in right now is how, hey, how did that thing get made? Mm -hmm. And then uh, wanting to be part of that is kind of core to this podcast and to what we're all doing. So thank you very much, Matt, for joining us. I really enjoyed the conversation and have a good day. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Jason. Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by Trustlayer. Find out how Trustlayer manages risk so that the people can build the physical world around us. Head over to trustlayer.io and then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the Trustlayer team, thank you for listening.